Welcome to the seventh episode of The Vegan Pod. I'm Rachel New and I'm delighted to be back guest hosting for a second time, this time on the topic of vegan fashion. Today we'll be discussing whether vegan fashion is the way forward to a better planet for all. Now, it's no secret that animal use and abuse sadly extends way beyond diet. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring what veganism means in the world of fashion. We'll discuss how vegans adapt their wardrobes to avoid endorsing unethical and devastating practices behind some of the most common materials like wool and leather. And the grey areas when it comes to navigating both sustainable and ethical vegan choices and what brands are doing to tackle these issues. Joining me on today's episode is vegan writer Sasha Camilli, the founder of the world's first digital vegan fashion magazine and senior PR coordinator at PETA, and Sean Pack, who is the global sourcing and sustainability director at clothing and footwear brand Superdry, which carries a range of vegan society certified trainers. Welcome both of you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Lovely to have you on the on the pod. Thank you. Um, now, I always start with this question. It's a bit like a sort of, you know, uh, dating first question or something, you know, when you're trying to get to know people. And I'm going to start with you, Sasha. Tell us about your vegan journey. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, well, my vegan journey, it was not a straightforward one. It took a while, longer than I would like now thinking back on it but it's a journey that began when i was quite a young child i stopped eating meat when i was 11. as soon as i realized what meat was and where it came from i knew i wanted nothing to do with that but like many people i believe that we had to eat meat that it would be dangerous not to because everyone around me ate meat until i get got to a point where i actually met someone who was a vegetarian and I realized that, wow, it's actually possible to survive without contributing to this eating animals thing that I wanted no part of. So I became, well, first a pescatarian and then later on a vegetarian. And I sort of stayed at that level for a long time because I did not know, I was not aware of the other ways in which we abuse and exploit animals. I was not aware of the abuse behind the dairy industry uh, or the fact that male chicks are killed for eggs. I knew nothing about any of this until I read the book Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And when I read that book, I complete, my worldview completely changed. And I, I just found that I could not take part in this any longer. I had to go vegan. And I did, I went vegan quite gradually. I phased things out from my life. And for me, it was quite natural to also involve my fashion choices in my vegan journey, uh, to sort of look at my wardrobe and what I was wearing and using and include that in this big transformation that my life was having. And the same went for the beauty products I used. So I would say that it was a gradual journey uh, that was sort of encompass different parts of my life. I think that's really interesting. I think on the whole, um, a gradual journey into any big life change is a good thing. And I think veganism has lots of very natural steps. And it's interesting that, that even when you stopped eating animals, you carried on eating fish because it's a, it's a, it is a, a kind of, you know, it's almost blocks getting knocked over kind of one by one and these little penny drops. And I think, I think the slower you do it and the na more naturally you do it, 
the easier it is for it to stick. And I remember eggs was the last thing I gave up. And I didn't actually intend to give eggs up. I was going to carry on eating eggs. I'd given up dairy. And then I just found like, I just don't fancy an egg anymore. And then, and that, and that's the way to do it, I think, isn't it? And, and, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about fashion today and that for a lot of people can be really hard. You know, you've given up the food and then you're like, oh, now I can't wear the shoes I really love. And, you know, it can be, it can be a really difficult thing. So hopefully we're going to, we're going to uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, shine a bit of a light on that today in a way that might be useful for people as well. So thank you very much for, Sasha, for that, Sasha. I, I too stopped, uh, stopped eating animals um, as a child. It just seemed like a bonkers thing to do, you know, and uh, in, in the face of all parent, parents and everyone going, no, eat some of this. I'm so worried about you. Like, nope, I'm not, not having it. Yeah, definitely parents <laughs> have to say on it, don't they? <laughs> it's difficult. Uh, so Sean, normally I would say, Sean, tell me about your vegan journey, but but Sean, you are the uh, elephant in the room here a little yes. bit because Sean, you're currently not vegan, but I'm not, no. but no. having listened to Sasha, I can I can almost feel your first tentative steps on that beautiful path. You know, yeah. your, your 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 bare feet are on that path, and it feels good underfoot, right? Like beautiful, cool oh, grass. So good. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just classify myself as being perhaps a bit earlier in the journey than Sasha and, and she's been through that so yeah I think uh, I, I know like we I think it's about like to me it's, it's about like a balance at the moment so I, I said to you before Rachel um, that uh, I sort of try and do like meat free two days a week and uh, and just sort of and, it, and that's just been part of like more of a healthy sort of approach to what we eat isn't it I think through Covid and I think just as as, as we become more educated on what's going on around us, I think we all try and think about how we need to all be different. And, and that's been my journey. And uh, one, of the, one of the founding moments for me was that I, 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 um, I, I started to shop with MS and I, I, I found their plant kitchen. Because I, one of the things I think when their plant kitchen range, which was a massive range of, of easy to cook, vegan, uh, um, authorized foods <laughs> because I'm a bit of a lazy cook and and uh, my, my you know from my wife as well and so we we look things that are quite easy and I think it was just like the unknown of how to prepare because I like taste with food and it was how to prepare like a vegan meal and I think it's just about education so that that's been a big turning point for me Good. Well, like I say, I can feel you're already on that path. And if you if you listen back to some of the episodes of the podcast, you might get a few tips as well on your, your vegan diet, your, your vegan food. So good luck That's with that, I Sean. I, you do. You just need a little bit of support. You just you're just yeah. you're on the journey. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, so can you describe a little bit about your role at Superdrive? Because I would imagine that sustainability is a complete quagmire not not even just from the vegan point of view because you know you're looking at a product and it, it ticks one box but then it's deeply unethical in some other way um what what it what is it you do yeah i mean I, i've been with Superdrive for 10 years and um mainly focused as, as you said on the sourcing so that's all, all of the sourcing and where we source all our products around the world um looking after um, the quality and fit um, so that's been a big journey for our brand as well is like quality clothes that are made to last and we sort of pride ourselves on that the materials that we use production ethical to make sure we're working with factories in the right way and then sustainability and you know, like we've really I think 
from a standing start. You know, everyone again has been on a journey and understand some of the impact. We, I suppose we're quite fortunate as a brand, we're a big cotton brand. So instantly we use a lot of natural material. So 70% of what we sell is, is cotton-based products. So that's been great for us. And to combat that, we're, we're actually sponsoring um, cotton farmers to convert them over to organic in, in India so we can meet our own demands. And then you're right, the other things are once you start to get into man-made fibres and things like that, we've just been on a huge journey. We're, we're like recycling 50 million bottles into our products. We've, we've joined up and what a pleasure. I'm not just saying that with the Vegan Society, lovely people, because we said, well, we quite fancy doing something different and they were so welcoming to us. And it's always to me about a journey and how we all think differently. The world is changing. You know, we're in the, I'm in the UK this week, temperatures are 34 degrees, you know, when have we seen that? So I just think we've all got to be different to, to look after our, and save our planet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's another thing that's interesting about veganism is that you can often, um, you know, split people into three camps and it's a bit like a big pie chart because sometimes they're in all the camps. You know, some people are vegan for the animals, some people are vegan for the planet, some people are vegan for health. If you've got your head screwed on, you're vegan for all three reasons. Um, but, you know, I think I think you're so right just this year what we've seen with the weather has got to get people thinking more about you know things they just haven't felt they've had to think about because you can't you can't avoid it when you step out your door and you're hit with a wall of heat which is the same as getting off a plane on holiday you know exactly. we're not used to that in, in this country at all um so Sasha please tell me a, a little bit about Vilda which is this the, the world's first digital vegan magazine founded in 2013 which in vegan terms very embryonic time to sort of put something vegan out there um Vilda is is Swedish for for wild one isn't it and I know this because that's my brother's dog's name because my brother do, my brother lives in oh, Sweden nice. <laughs> and she's a gorgeous little thing <laughs> um so so tell me about Vilda and how how you kind of decided to do this what would have probably been something a little bit bonkers at the time oh yes that's definitely how it felt so I have loved magazines since I was a kid I remember spending like my pocket money on like US Vogue and Elle and all of these foreign magazines that were so expensive when I was young and I've always sort of loved the escapism of it and the aspirational uh, you know, aspects of it. And that this passion has sort of followed me throughout my life. I um, started working for magazines and writing for magazines when I got older. And as I was sort of going through this journey that we just talked about when I was going vegan, I found myself all of a sudden sitting there with my favorite magazines and just flipping through entire sections without looking at them because there was nothing in there for me anymore. The beauty section, all of the products were tested on animals, um, all of the fashion pages, like all of the words that jumped out at me were leather, wool, mohair, fur, like there was nothing in there that I felt like I could, not that I could wear it anyway, because I probably wouldn't be able to afford it. But still, there was even that aspirational factor of, oh, I want that, that wasn't there because I wouldn't want to wear it anyway. And I found myself thinking that there had to be people like me who cared about fashion and who, who were interested in personal style, but who also were interested in these other aspects uh, of where fashion came from and how it was made. 
So I had this idea of starting my own fashion magazine, which was like quite a daunting idea. I, I knew exactly where I wanted to go, but I had no idea where, like how to end up there, what the process would look like. So I found in 2013 that Marie Claire magazine here in the UK had this um, entrepreneurship program that they called the Inspire and Mentor Scheme, where they basically you could apply with your business idea. And if you were chosen, I think they chose maybe five people every year, then you would be paired up with a mentor from your field who would help you make your idea a reality. So I applied for that. And I remember I went to the interview um, with Poppy Benzi, who was this amazing web entrepreneur who built an app where people could upload outfits like way before Instagram, way before any of this. So I remember sitting there and saying like, look, I have no money. I have no tech experience. I just know that this is what I want to do. And I know what I want it to look like. And then I left the room and realized that my shirt was buttoned wrong. And I was like, okay, this is just, this is, it, it's never going to happen. They're never going to choose me, but they did. Uh, and I was paired up with Poppy for, I think it was about six months or something, maybe a bit more. And she like, she was such great help. She walked me through every step of launching a website, of getting people to work with me, of finding brand partners, of planning content. And I created the world's first digital vegan fashion magazine, which at that time was it's quite a strange thing to do because there was lots of info around veganism and it was quite, quite, you know, beautiful, amazing looking recipes, but it was all food. There was mm, yeah. about the non-food side of veganism. So when I told people I'm launching a vegan fashion magazine, the reactions were like, what do you mean? What, what is vegan fashion? It was not like today when we have vegan fashion week in Los Angeles. When we have, you know, brands like Hermes making bags from mushroom leather, there was none of that. And it was, you know, a, a strange, but also very exciting time to be doing that in. And, uh, and you, and I think um, you need, you need to watch out for this, Sean, because Sasha's very persuasive because, uh, you know, in, in, in your time in the vegan fashion world, you, you convinced uh, Helsinki Fashion Week to go completely um, you know, uh, vegan, and that's amazing. Well, leather-free, um, yes. We, uh, this is through my work uh, with uh, at PETA. We saw that they were sort of, um, they were just, they launched maybe one year or two before this, and they were sort of uh, profiling themselves as the first sustainable fashion week in the world. And since we've seen research, such as the Pulse of Fashion Industry report, come out and place cow leather at the top of their list of the materials that had the most devastating environmental impact. We uh, reached out to Helsinki Fashion Week and said, do you, know, do you want to maybe, you know, up your environmental credentials even more by going leather free? And they actually agreed. And it's been an amazing few seasons for them. I was actually keynote speaker at Helsinki Fashion Week just a few days ago. And it's amazing to see just how much you can create, um, how much creativity and innovation you can bring to the runways without using animal skins. 
We're going to talk more about leather because I think it's one of the things certainly people, you know, shoes, is, it's a big thing. People say, well, you know, I, I'm prepared to go vegan, but, I, you know, I like certain shoes and I want my shoes to be good quality. And that means leather to a lot of people. So we'll talk uh, definitely more about leather. Um, and of course, Sean, you know, Superdry now has this um, vegan society certified range of trainers. Um, and it's really funny, you know, you know, when something it kind of comes onto your peripheral or, or into your consciousness and then you start seeing it everywhere I keep seeing people posting on social media going oh my god I love my new super dry trainers which I, I feel like I hadn't seen that before I knew I was going to be chatting to you and it's like it's like when you're pregnant suddenly everyone you see is pregnant yeah. um but so so you know they're, they're definitely they're definitely taking off um so other than leather, what other materials and components would make trainers non-vegan? Because I think leather is the obvious thing, but, but what else do you have to, to consider when you're making a, a range of vegan trainers? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean it's, it's been a big learning for us on that, similar to what Sasha was saying, like we, we used to sell a lot of leather footwear um, and we decided to make a pledge and, and spoke to the vegan society because we wanted to do something different and test ourselves. So yeah, when we did that, it's great. We have, I think it was something like we recorded it. We had to do a, 172 tests to check every single component of that piece of footwear through microscopic testing with a third party to pass. So we were quite nervous down to the even the glues, the cements that are used, the types of rubbers that are used, and even the dyes, because we've had to, because it's non-leather. We also, from a sustainability point of view, we wanted to blend in some recycled materials, which also had to be all, all validated and certified. But down to the types of dyes used on the PU. So it was a, a bit of a nerve-wracking experience to make you know, the final test for production because obviously just taking one shoe out of production and, and testing it. And um, we were really pleased when we got that. And we've extended that now. We're doing, um, so all of our all of our footwear now is vegan registered, you know, no leather. And we've just um, converted all of our flip-flops. We're a massive flip-flop brand. And we said, well, why can't we now think about flip-flops then? So we've just worked with a vegan society and we've just registered all of our flip-flops for, uh, we've done a small test now for next summer. So we're really proud of those. And then it opens up a bit like Sasha saying, what's next? What can we do? What can we do differently? You know, even for cotton products that we sell masses of, of our cotton products, these polo shirts, t-shirts, we're looking at different dyes now that are more plant-based. And it's just making sure they've still got that durability. But we're seeing some phenomenal results. So I think everyone is thinking differently on how they can get these more plant-based dyes, plant-based materials. But, but recycled products are quite important to us as well. So we're not using virgin materials in the process. Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, for your average shopper, when a, when a brand like uh, Superdry can do it, it's suddenly, you know, it feels like a step change where people go, ah, okay, it's not some quirky little brand I've never heard of. Um, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's stuff I feel comfortable with. Um, and it's interesting, according to a, a, survey that, a survey that the Vegan Society carried out last year as part of its fashion report, just over 60% of respondents thought that fur was cruel compared to only 37% who felt that leather from cows was cruel. And, you know, cow leather still seems to be more accepted for everyday use as shoes, belts, interiors, household items. I mean, it's just everywhere, isn't it? You know, car seats, sofas, you, you name it. Why do you think that is, Sasha, that, that people, I mean, I often hear people go, well, you know, 
the cows are going to be meat anyway, so we may as well use the leather. And um, But why do you think people have that sort of disconnect? Fur, bad, don't want to be associated with it, don't want to wear it. Leather, fine, need to have it in my life. Um, I think actually um, the example that you made there was um, is a really important part of the reason why this still happens is because people believe quite mistakenly that it's about minimizing waste and using something that would have otherwise been thrown away. Um, I've heard lots of people say things like, oh, well, it's better to use the whole animal. And the most investigations that I've seen, like all of the investigations that I've seen into the leather industry that PETA entities have done around the world show proof that if you look at the supply chain and how actually did these animals live and die for example, there are photos that I show in my lectures of leather cows. And one of the first things you notice about them is how skinny and malnourished they are. You can see their bones. That's because these are not animals who were raised to end up on someone's plate. They were raised to become a bag, a belt or a shoe. So these industries, obviously they coexist with one another, but they don't necessarily always depend on each other. And also because leather is more expensive than meat, uh, it can definitely have a value of its own. Uh, but you're also be propping up this really damaging industry that we know is really bad for the environment, which is the meat industry. So actually, the best thing that you can do is, is actually take a stand against leather and not use it in order to, it's not about minimizing waste at all. What is a waste product on the other hand are materials such as pineapple leather, um, apple leather, wine grape leather, all of these new innovative materials that are coming up now and that were not around when I was starting the magazine or when I started at PETA. But what's different about them is that they are actual byproducts. Like pineapple leaf fibers are, they come from pineapple leaves that are not part of the fruit in any way, so uh, are usually discarded. Or like the waste from wine, uh, wine um, grapes from the wine industry. It's all, most of it is waste that would have been discarded otherwise that is now used to make leather, which is fantastic. Um, another reason why I believe people still have this distinction between fur and things like leather or wool is because actually when you think about it, who has ever, like, I don't even know that many people who ever wore fur. Like it's not in that many people's lives. It's not something that we actually use that much. Fur or exotic skins is very easy to be against, isn't it? Because so many of us have never, even for many reasons, like many, most people can't afford it, or it's, it's just not something that is in our wardrobes at all. But leather, wool, um, down, all of these materials that are more sort of everyday that you can find on the high street, that are in the shops that you know, actually giving them up means changing something about your life and this is where it gets tricky for a lot of people because it's <laughs> easy to be against something if you don't actually have to do anything but if it means okay you have to change your habits and your lifestyle then people are often daunted by that uh, because not many people realize how easy it can actually be to make kinder choices uh, so it's interesting you mentioned some of those wonderful plant-based replacements because i think 
you know, one of the problems with alternatives to leather is that they're often, you know, PVC based. And then, you know, that in itself um, brings its own problems, of course. Um, how do you think some of these big brands that, um, you know, that are using leather or are using PVC can deliver both sustainable and animal free alternatives? Do you think that um, brands are beginning to move in, in, in this direction in, in tandem? What do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, the good thing is, as Sasha says, there's so much innovation coming through now and it's about almost like supply and demand, isn't it? If, if there's a requirement there, we're, we're great as a human race of finding a solution. And I think as people become more educated on the things we need to think and do differently, then we're seeing that innovation. I mean, Sasha mentioned a few, I've seen a lot of cork leather, which you've talked about mushroom leather, and we're even using some coating on cotton. So you can still use cotton as a core and coat it to still give a really nice jacket. So like wax uh, coats are, are really popular. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're quite fortunate. We, we, we do still sell a few leather jackets, but I've seen the demand. I mean, I think when I started with a brand 10 years ago, um, like leather was a massive part of that whole conversation and there was a huge requirement from the consumers we've just seen that requirement steadily decrease year on year and, and some of that might be down to fashion some of it might be down to preference um, and some of it might be down to more of a social you know sustainable consciousness uh, but you know we've seen a, a massive decline in that type of product and similar to what Sasha is saying we've trialed different leather by like the alternatives you know and um, we've seen mixed results and some of it's worked and some of it hasn't um, but we should always look at innovation and how we can how we can move away and educate people into thinking differently. I think I think you're right and I think it's interesting what you say that people seem to be you know more on board with the journey because again in the vegan society report on fashion 80% of shoppers involved in the survey said they'd be interested in pleather so like a plant-based leather um, and over three quarters of them were aware of it and I think that people you know just weren't necessarily uh, aware of it even before or they thought of it definitely as being a sort of substandard uh, alternative or a cheaper alternative as opposed to a you know a positive choice mm. um uh, now this is an interesting one um Sasha and this is for you because Sean is still so embryonic in his journey to becoming a vegan we know you're going to get there Sean and you know and me and Sasha will you know we'll 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 send you our you know you can dm Rest us you can yeah you can dm us anytime like we'll be like your buddies okay we're there for you sean now we, we've you. got you um, I'm feeling but, the love. <laughs> good. but sasha what do you feel i mean this is often a bit of a, a um you know a bit of a quagmire people who still own leather products or you know and people say well i don't you know i don't want to throw it away i want to keep using it and you know, I struggle a bit with that sometimes, you know, I've got some, I've, I've got loads of things, I don't know what they're made of, you know, <laughs> probably not ethical, not vegan, um, but, you know, you think, well, I'm going to throw it away and get something new or get something different. And, you know, it can be really difficult. What, what do you, what do you think the, the sort of answer to that is? Um, well, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a time when a lot of people will be asking themselves that question, because that's, just what happens when you make a lifestyle change, you just realize how many things in your life are not in line with your new beliefs. And like you were saying, Sean, lots of people are sort of, uh, there's less demand for some things because some people are having maybe more thoughts about sustainability and another way of, of shopping and living your life. And there are 
a number of things that you can do with things that you already own that are not vegan. And I always say that the one thing that you should not do is you should not be throwing anything away. I've heard of people saying things like, oh, I threw away all of my beauty products and I bought an entire new uh, set of cruelty-free cosmetics or I got rid of my entire wardrobe. And I'm thinking, that's so wasteful. If you're doing this for the better of the planet, then like, the worst thing you can do is like, let things go to landfill. It's the one thing I tell people in my lectures not to do. Um, so what can you do instead? Well, if it's fur that you have, then we at PETA have a fur donation program where you can send your old fur coats and you would be surprised at how many people send us fur. We, we have so, so much fur. That shows how many people just change their minds about fur and no longer want to wear it. Uh, we give it to homeless people. We use it in educational displays. We donate it to refugees or to animal shelters for bedding. So that's one thing you can do with fur. If you have materials like leather, wool, um, down, um, any kind of animal-derived materials, then I said I would say that you could either um, you could sell them, you could give them away. If you're uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable keeping the money from selling them, you could always donate it to uh, a good cause. Or I think there's also have quite a controversial opinion. I think there's also the option of you know, keeping them and continuing to wear them until they reach the end of their lifespan. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing this. It doesn't make you less vegan. It just makes you less wasteful. And that's what the planet needs us all to be. So I would say if someone wants to keep wearing it, then I think that's completely fine. I think there may be a, a small collective sigh of relief to hear that from you, <laughs> Sasha. Um, you know, someone, someone of your caliber and your credential kind of giving that, because I agree, throwing it away is, is, is just wasteful. You know, we should absolutely be, you know, top priorities should not be being wasteful. And also I think that doing it gradually, you know, going back to this gradual thing, every time you do finish a beauty product and then you go, right, now my next choice is going to be, you know, a vegan choice, a sustainable choice, you know, more conscious choice. And so you get that kind of little buzz every time you run out of something, you know, rather than sort of throwing it all out in one day, you know, you keep getting that hit of like, I'm making the right choice. I'm doing, I'm doing something good. Um, Sean, I wanted to talk to you about recycled materials. You mentioned plastic bottles and, and stuff earlier on. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about where you source those materials from? And, and, and it does sound like a complex, if you're trying to make sure you're doing it right, it sounds like a complex area to get in. What other materials are you using? Yeah, I mean, the, we, we're trying to do a few things. And it, it's, as Sasha said, it's about what is the, look, we, we make clothes, we're not sustainable. We, we're just going to say that. And so what we're trying to do is lower our impact. So anything we try to use, we, we want to think of the impact on the planet and how we can minimise that. So one of the things, we're a massive outerwear brand. We do a lot of padded jackets. And so we said, well, how do we limit our impact on that? And, and one of the things is we fill them all with, so that people are warm, you know, we've got all this padding. And so um, we produce those in, the, in mainly in the Far East where, where they manufacture that type of product. And so we went out there and we were hearing lots of story about like buying, like everyone says it's sustainable and it's, you know, post-consumer waste, but that isn't always the case. So we've actually went out to all the bottle recycling plants and these, these are massive, you know, the size of the problem of this planet really comes home when you're stood in a massive yard and literally the, these massive lorries full of 
plastic bottles that have been consumed and wasted, or we're all pulling up to tip them in. So we went, well, we started up, well, shall we just want a small collection, you know, like a sustainable outerwear collection? And we stood there looking at all these bottles and went, well, that's not going to even like dent, like touch the sides. So we said, well, what happens if we move all of our padding to recycled? And so that's been done now for two years. So the last two, two seasons of, of jackets have all been that. We each year we're using like I think 50 million plastic bottles, which is a lot, isn't it? You know, when you think of how many bottles that is, just for us as a, a mid-sized brand. I was going to say, it is a lot, it is a lot, but from what you've just described, it's probably still just a drop oh, in the nothing. ocean. Yeah. Nothing. And then I hear things where people go, oh, you're they're all recycled anyway and go back into the bottle industry. That is factually not true. I think something like 10% of plastic bottles actually get reused and the rest go into landfill or the ocean. So I think people need to, you know, we're just informing and educating. There's lots of plastic bottles we could all use. So now we've just done all of our swimwear collection. We, we try to recycle other elements in other products. So we've done all of our board shorts, all of our swimwear. We're now recycling it in our sweatshirts because that used some polyester. So we're finding solutions and educating ourselves as we go. Um, so that's been a massive thing for us, as well as the organic cotton and how we can try to drive change. But there's so much more we can do and there's so much more on a journey we're, we're going to do. So it's just learning and educating ourselves and follow and pushing people for new technology. The, the industry does need to catch up. It's a little bit behind. So we've led the way, but we're working with a lot of other brands and retailers now on sharing our leverage so that we can really drive that impact, as you say. There's a lot of plastic bottles out there we can all recycle it's not a competition let's all let's all do our part and, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned you know using leverage and and sort of spreading the word you know between brands and companies um it, it's much harder i think you know when it comes down to the shoppers level you know and you you feel a bit like you don't really have you know you wander in and out of shops and you know like you were saying Sasha when you started Builder you know you you found the magazines had nothing for you and you know and sometimes you wander in and out of shops and you know, there's nothing really for me in here I, I just you know I'll just go to charity shops which is a great way of shopping I buy nearly all my stuff in charity shops but you, you know you sort of feel a bit forced out what do you think shoppers can do to kind of advocate for themselves a little bit more and um, you know have have a voice without you know, coming across as, you know, because we don't all want to be necessarily be activists or, you know, to be pushy, but what, what can we do to sort of get that message across really that, that we want things to be different? Um, I remember I did, I think I wrote an article about, I don't remember if it was for Vilda or if I did like a guest article for someone about five or however many ways you can be a fashion activist that don't, don't necessarily involve shopping. Um, because I've heard people say, and I'm sure I've said it myself at some point, that it would be nice to shop ethical fashion, but um, not everyone can afford it. And I was thinking of what are some other ways that people can show um, that they want to support this movement. And I think that it's always a good idea to, to talk to brands that you like, to make your voice heard, to ask, like, is this vegan or how was this made? Um, maybe write to a brand that you uh, usually shop with or contact them on social media and ask for vegan options. Make it clear that this is something that's important to consumers, that this is a factor that matters. Um, and also spreading the word on, on social media, which is obviously something that I've 
been doing for a long time to talk about various aspects of the fashion industry that people might not be aware of. It's about, you know, being part of a movement and making your voice heard because it does matter to companies. Uh, I believe at least that companies do listen to uh, consumers and that they are affected by what, what consumers have to say, uh, which definitely shows in all of the amazing new designs and vegan ranges that we're seeing on uh, with brands. Now, I love the super dry vegan range. I love the trainers. I just saw them in the shop in Brighton the other week and they're amazing. And it's uh, just if, looking back a few years, we would never, well, maybe not never, but we didn't see that much of this at all. We didn't see companies um, branding things as vegan, but now there are companies that say, you know what, actually, we want to have a vegan range, we want to have a vegan collection, because vegan is a thing now. Uh, it's um, a factor that means something. And I believe if consumers show that they support the vegan ranges, uh, that they want vegan fashion, uh, that it's a positive move. Also, when I remember um, brands like big designer brands banning fur, uh, most of the time, people were really happy and excited about that. It was a huge thing that um, kind of brought about a domino effect in the fashion industry that one brand banned fur and then lots of other brands followed suit. And people were so excited to hear that. But some people said, oh, you know, they still, say, still sell leather, they still sell other animal-derived materials. And that's definitely the case. And it's important to, you know, keep up the pressure on brands to do better but also we need to celebrate this progress we need to be excited when brands stop selling fur or, or any other you know exotic skins and things that brands are giving up now we need to support that i think it's very important that when a company makes an important uh, decision that will change animals lives for the better and will affect the planet positively that we're positive about it and we celebrate it and it's that back to that slow burn thing again, you know, if they're just making the one change and then then they'll make another change, which brings me back to you, Sean. Um, so you've got your vegan trainer range. Are there, are there any other products in the pipeline that you're you're hoping to get registered with the vegan society? I, I know from what you were saying, it's there's a many hoops to jump through with the vegan society, quite rightly, because they don't want, they want anything to slip through the net that, that you know, doesn't fit the bill. But have you have you got any other ranges in mind? Yeah, as I said, if, if we've actually put vegan on some of our flip-flops on the sole, so you can actually paint <laughs> bright colours, and that's been fun, and we've worked with the Vegan Society on that. Um, and then we're looking at, we do some really nice organic T-shirts, so we want to do like an organic table that's also vegan registered, um, and that would be lovely. And I, I think the Vegan Society approached it in the right way. There is no compromise in what they want to do but they work in partnership to try to work with you to find the solution so they don't just stand back they'll say oh how can we work it together like for instance we wanted to put some recycled content into our flip-flops so we wanted to lower our impact on the environment and they were really supportive and we've done a project to do the testing together so we could learn because the problem is of course when you use a recycled product is you can't guarantee whether there could have been some animal byproducts in the original purpose of that product. 
So it's just finding solutions. And, and I think they, they said, well, we're really interested in that as well. So we said, well, let, let's try it. And worst case is we'd have to have removed the recycled content, but that didn't feel like the right sustainable solution. So it's always a compromise and it's always finding solutions. But no, our journey so far has been great and we'd love to do more products. Good stuff. Well, listen, talking of uh, collaboration and finding solutions and supporting each other, I feel I can't let you go without me and Sasha maybe giving you a couple of meal tips, Sean. I think okay, this, I like I think, this. No. yeah, I think this would be good. So uh, I'm going to start with something that I think is a really great fail safe vegan meal because this can be not just one meal, but it can be many meals. So it's a sort of um, you start by making a kind of vegan bolognese or kind of shepherd's pie or chili base, you know, so this can be this is like your, your one thing you make a bunch of it and then it can become whichever thing you want it to be so you know it's just uh, onions and garlic maybe carrots or peppers or something like that for a bit of sweetness tin of tomatoes green lentils um, you cook all that up you've got your kind of base you can make it a bit herbier if you want to make it a bolognese you can make it spicy if you want to make it chili you can make it kind of a bit more umami if you're going to make a shepherd's pie with it and you bung a whole bunch of those in Tupperware in the freezer and you've got all your bases for your spag bowl your chili con carne without carney and and your shepherd's pies that'd be my tip for you sean i want you to get going on that look up a, a, a kind of lentil bolognese recipe how does that, that sound well, i love chili a bit spicy and and that sounds like a really good a really good option for me excellent what have you got for him sasha um so actually um my husband is a, the cook in the family he's italian and he makes all kinds of amazing he makes vegan carbonara that's amazing and lots of other things, lasagna. But one thing that he prefers me to make is actually a, a vegan English breakfast, which is so funny because I'm not English, but um, what I really love to make is scrambled tofu, uh, which has the texture to replace scrambled egg. And the way that I like to make it smell and taste like egg is, uh, first I add some turmeric to it when I scramble it, and that's uh, it's a really healthy thing to do, but also it's just for the color. It gives it that yellow color. But also there's this uh, the salt that I buy in uh, health food shops, but I believe you can order it online as well. It's called, I think it's called Kala Namak or something like that. It has a purple color and this salt will make your food smell and taste like egg. It's incredible. I don't know what, like, what, what this is, like what, what's, what it is so it's a high sulfur content we use that as well in our scrambled tofu i think yeah, just black amazing. black salt if you look up black salt i think it's also the same thing yeah oh i love this this is where i need the education i think lots <laughs> lots more people want to reduce their meat intake and look at alternatives it is about like just the knowledge and effort isn't it and most yeah. things actually you're right when you do it it's probably no more effort than cooking meat but it's just that change of education and and just just that different approach so no I, I love this thank you very much well and I think tofu and lentils are two absolute mm. fail safe really easy bung in in replace of anything so I hope that I mm. hope that's helped you on your journey Sean I can yeah. already feel you going meat free three days a week now it's just yeah, it's, well, I think it's already tipped over invite me back on and I can <laughs> share the next part of my journey we'll, we'll see how you're progressing well listen yeah. it's uh it, it's been uh actually you know just before before we go I do want to ask one more thing because we've talked a lot about leather and we've talked about other products like what I do want to talk about is wool a little bit because um you know again a bit like the cow thing people say well it's just a byproduct of sheep you know how 
how harmful can it be? And um, and Sasha, I wanted to know, you know, where you kind of stand on wool, and and also Sean, where where you know where Superdry might be going with wool. Um, so I I remember uh, about two winters ago, I was really looking for a coat in uh, in shops. I've been looking for one for ages, and I finally found a coat that I loved. It was so beautiful. I was so happy that I found it, and I took it home. And then I realized I forgot to check the label. So I looked at it and it was 10% wool. And some people said, well, you've bought it already. Like keep it like one coat, what will it do? And I took it back because I just could not imagine wearing wool. And one of the reasons, well, the reason why I will never wear wool again is because I have seen the investigative footage that PETA entities have filmed that over a hundred sheep sharing facilities on four continents, including in the UK, showing cruelty that was so shocking and abhorrent that sheep shares in Australia and in Scotland have actually pleaded guilty to charges of cruelty to animals. So it's something that many people believe is that wool is this gentle haircut for the sheep well, actually, lots of the times uh, workers have to share really quickly because they're paid by the volume of wool that they produce and not the hours that they work. And this leads to very like haphazard and rough handling of the animals who are often cut in the process and just left bleeding or sewn up with a needle and thread. And let's also not forget that there's no happy retirement for these animals. They're not sent off somewhere to like wander around on a farm most of the time. They're just sent to the slaughterhouse when they're no longer considered useful. And wool is also just like leather and all kinds of raising animals on a large scale for human consumption. Wool has an environmental impact. Australia and New Zealand are the top wool producers in the world and the sheep present in those countries are among the top contributors to methane emissions. So wool is an environmental problem and i believe we can all do without it there are materials such as organic cotton that we can wear instead um, there's hemp which can be used in knitwear hemp is a really sustainable material there's innovations such as wool made from plants and flowers and coconuts which is admittedly you know still a bit way to go before they're commercial but i believe that we'll get there we'll have plant-based um even more plant-based wool alternatives just like we are seeing now with leather and i believe that's where fashion should be heading so it's interesting you hear hear uh, sasha there sean talking about you know wool um and you mentioned that you do a lot of outerwear at super dry uh, and i'm really glad sasha that you mentioned hemp uh, i feel like we almost need another episode for hemp mm. because hemp it can be really difficult to get the right licensing to grow hemp you know there seems to be a massive block on hemp which is you know uh, a terrible shame. Um, wool alternatives, Sean, are you going down the hemp road? Yeah, we've already got. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Like hemp's come through in the last few years. We we do um, a range of hemp t-shirts and knitwear. So yeah, I think again, it's just like how do we engage consumers in different alternatives? Some people will come in purposely to look for like, oh, I need a wool jumper, I like merino wool, I like cashmere, I like all these things. And then um, what we've tried to do is like, try and do like subtle signage around the stores. If ever you go into a super dry store now, we're trying to sort of say, this is 
what it is we've got a sustainable landing page on our website where we just try to it's not about like it's just about like to engage with consumers in what that really means because there's so much false propaganda around around what sustainability means what isn't and yeah i think we're all we're all trying to use different materials again we're we don't use a lot of wool we use some in, in some jumpers but as Sasha said, there are so many alternatives now, and especially linked to fashion, that, you know, um, I, I, we're not seeing a massive demand, and I think that's just decreasing as well. So I do feel like people are getting on board with that. And even on our, our more corporate site, we put what we call the truth service. When, whenever, a bit like Sasha, when we learn something, we just share it. We don't like, it's not really professional. It's just like, oh, we went to a bottle plant and here's what the bottles look like. So we actually do the videos and we just sort of share them. They're only taken most of the time by our phones. And we just go, look, if you want to learn more, this is the truth about what we see. So, uh, yeah, I think it's about making sure when people make that decision, they're informed of what that decision means and then they choose to or don't do. And I think and we're seeing that change in demand. So naturally, we're seeing the industry move, which is great. And, and yes, trying different materials like hemp. And obviously, we do a lot of cottons and slubs. And that way you can get some amazing yarns and finishes. Fabulous stuff. The future of fashion sounds fantastic. It's been uh, it's been really eye opening and interesting to, to chat to you both today. Thank you so much for being guests on the vegan pod. Uh, thanks to Sasha, writer and founder of the world's first digital vegan fashion magazine, Vilda, as well as being the PR coordinator for Peter and its many fashion campaigns. Sasha is also the author of Vegan Style, your plant based guide to fashion, beauty, home and travel. You can find her on both Instagram and Twitter at Sasha Camilli and at Peter UK and Sean Pack, the global sourcing and sustainability director for clothing and footwear brand Super Dry. And I'll add to that vegan in the making, Sean. I think you can add that little footnote. Um, it's, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you both. Thank you so much for your time and keep up the good work. No, thank you, Rachel. Really enjoyed it. And thanks, Sasha. Take care. Thank you. Thank you both.